everyone. Welcome to Antibodies. This is our 23rd episode in the Immunology 101 series, a segment where we discuss the great field of immunology. Joining me today are my wonderful co-hosts, Koshika and Ash. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Me too. Just well. Well, you know what? I've got something to make your day even better. Are you ready for this? Oh, what's that? Okay. Okay, how did the B-cell get out of taking the algebra class in high school? How? How? His class got switched to geometry. (laughs) (laughs) That's so bad! I'm really sorry, guys. I thought thought this would land much better than it did. (laughs) It landed fine. It's just a bad joke. Too funny. That's that's if we, if we want to get more listeners, we need to stop telling jokes like that. I'm really sorry, guys. We'll make we could make up for this at some point. Well, should we move on from that and review the last episode? Yeah, let's do that because what we're talking about today has a lot to do with uh, what we talked about in the last episode. So, in the last episode, we talked about. When a B cell is exposed to an antigen during infection, it can class switch to an antibody that is more appropriate to fight the pathogens. Activated B cells will cluster together to form a germinal center within the secondary lymphoid tissue. Then we also discussed how it is within the germinal center that somatic hypermutation, affinity maturation, and clonal selection occur. I believe the acronym was SAC. (laughs) Uh, Finally, we talked about the role of the protein AID, AID. Uh, in both class switching and somatic hypermutation. So fun fact, <laughs> before I got married, my last name was Muni, starting with an M. And now that I'm married, my last name is Gardner, starting with a G. So I think I understand class switching from IgM to IgG. Uh, how is this better than the class switching from algebra <laughs> to geometry? See, I'm, I'm not the only one writing bad jokes here. Yeah. So as you can say, your husband aided you in class switching. Ah! <laughs> I'll tell him that. <laughs> okay. All the puns aside, one thing I was wondering was, where does all of this class switching happen? And then I am guessing there are specialized structures. So can we talk about these? And how are they organized within the germinal center? Or is it just a glob of cells all mushed together over there? Yeah, so in the last episode, we said that we're going to shed some light and dark on the, on, the, uh, on the organization of the germinal center. So let's just go into that. So we say shedding light and dark because in a mature germinal center, about a week after antigen contact, you have like two different zones. You have a light zone and a dark zone. And there's no like metaphorical meaning behind it. So there's no like metaphorical light and dark, but it has more to do with cell density. So the light zone, as the name suggests, has fewer cells and the dark zone appears darker because it's dense with many more cells. Oh, interesting. So it's like having a few marbles on a table versus having like a pile of marbles on the table. The pile will look darker because they're all like bundled together. Exactly. And the interesting part is why there are so many cells in the dark zone. I I bet that during this mass division of cells is when we see this fascinating process of somatic hypermutation. You're absolutely right. So in the dark zone, where you have this intensely dividing germinal center B cells. So these dividing cells are the ones that are undergoing somatic hypermutation. So there's a lot of aid expression in the dark zone, as you can imagine. 
and the germinal center cells that are dividing are called centroblasts. So what happens in the light zone if there aren't as many cells there? So as you can probably guess, so in contrast to the dark zone, the B cells in the light zone proliferate less and they're called centrocytes. So if you want to remember this, you can think of as central blasts are in the dark, central sites, they see the light. That's, that's very uh, helpful. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> so there are many other cell types in the light zone. So like large networks of follicular dendritic cells, uh, T follicular helper cells, and some naive cells. The light zone is where the selection for the high affinity germinal center B cells occurs. Do the B cells in the light zone or the dark zone express any different cell surface markers for us to distinguish them? Yeah, exactly. Because it's spatial separation is also reflected on their surface phenotype. So if I were to give one example, the dark zone B cells express high levels of CXCR4, the chemokine receptor we also mentioned, uh, uh, I think, in our previous episode. So CXCR4 binds to CXCL12, which is expressed by somal cells, stromal cells within the dark zone, and it helps to keep them within the dark zone. So the light zone B cells, they express comparatively lower levels of CXCR4, so they don't co-localize in the dark zone, they co-localize with the follicular dendritic cells in the light zone. Okay, so this is a lot to put together with uh, everything in the last episode as well. Can we Can we kind of go through this in order? What happens when and, and where? Yeah, so while B cells start in the germinal center as central blasts, so they start to proliferate, the expansion of cells happens in the densely populated dark zone. Now, once the germinal center is established, some germinal center B cells will stop proliferating and they'll move from the dark zone to the light zone. If we are getting very specific, 50% of the germinal center B cells will have made this journey within a five-hour time frame. And then in the light zone, when do the B cells interact with the other cells? So once they're in the light zone, there are cytokines that will cause B cells to like upregulate their class two, so MHC class two, and then they can compete to pick up the antigen from the follicular dendritic cells. The antigen that it needs to survive, right? Exactly. The antigen is one of the survival signals. But then the antigen-loaded B cell will then interact with the T follicular helper cells, which will preferentially bind to the B cells that have the highest antigen density. So when I say that, it's basically the B cells with the greatest affinity for the antigen. The T follicular helper cells will provide more survival signals, one of which is CD40 ligand, which binds to CD40 on the B cells. The low affinity B cells will be outcompeted, and since they're not getting the appropriate survival signals, they will die by apoptosis. This is the selection process of affinity maturation. Are more survival signals the only benefit of this B cell, T cell interaction, or, or am I missing something? Now that's a that's a good that's a good question. Uh, it seems kind of obvious that survival is necessary for immune activation. But T cell health will also provoke the B cells to proliferate further. So the B cells will then re-enter the dark zone and they'll divide more, where somatic hypermutation may result in even higher affinity receptors. So there's a benefit to re-entering the dark zone. Is that correct? Yeah, it is, it is a it is a privilege to re-enter the dark zone. <laughs> Traveling back to the dark zone means that the affinity of the B cell clone can continue to be refined through trial and error, as we said. 
Uh, and only about 10 to 30 percent of the visas that enter the light zone make it back to the dark zone. Are you saying that over 75 percent of the B cells die? Well, no. Some of the B cells will also leave the germinal center to become antibody secreting plasma blasts. So these are early antibody secreting cells or plasma cells which produce high affinity antibodies. The plasma cells are the main antibody secreting cells of an immune response. And oh yeah, I almost forgot. The B cells may also leave the germinal center as memory B cells. Ooh, memory B cells. Tell me more about these memory B cells. Hey, can I jump in on this topic? Because I, I think I know a thing or two about memory B cells. <laughs> of course. Uh, so let's talk about memory B cells in the context of T-dependent antigens, just to keep it simple early on. If you have ever been vaccinated and the vaccination has protected you from subsequent infections, you can thank your memory B cells for that. Thank you, memory B cells. Well, I will take their thanks on their behalf. Anyways, <laughs> since we have talked extensively about how a naive B cell gets activated during a primary response, let me introduce the memory B cells in the context of naive B cells as in how can we distinguish between naive and memory B cells. While the naive B cells take up to a week to respond after first seeing the antigen, the memory B cells can get in on the action within three days after seeing an antigen for the second time. Why does it take three days though? Well, they still need to divide and make tons of replicates of themselves. Some of them will also re-enter the germinal center if it's required but they are uniquely hardwired to do this much quicker than the naive cells. Oh yeah, because they re-entered the, the germinal center to become even higher affinity the second time. I guess maybe that's why vaccine booster shots can be helpful. Yes, but remember, even if there are some of these memory B cells that will re-enter the germinal center, most memory B cells have already gone through the process of antibody class switching. So they will make specialized classes of antibodies like the IgGs instead of the vanilla IgM that every naive B cell makes, which is really good for the immune response. Okay, so all memory B cells have gone through class switching. Actually, no, I'll backtrack. Oh. I, I know I just said that, but <laughs> that's not completely true. There, we, Let's classify the memory B cells into two types depending on when they are formed. First, we have these early generated memory B cells that appear before the germinal centers have formed. Let's say within four days of the first antigen encounter. These early memory B cells look more like naive B cells than the high affinity memory B cells that I was talking about. These early memory B cells will form a reservoir of antigen binding cells that can enter the germinal center if needed. In fact, they, if, uh, they, they haven't entered the germinal centers, uh, the fact that they have not entered the germinal center yet, that should tell us that they are all bearing unmutated IgM receptors on their surface. And for this reason, we can call these early memory B cells as IgM memory B cells. This brings us to the second class of memory B cells. And these are the ones that appear in the germinal centers. These cells have typically gone through the process of somatic hypermutation and class switching, meaning that they will tend to express IgG instead of IgM. And for this reason, we can call them IgG memory B cells. So what, what's happening to these IgG memory B cells? 
The IgG memory B cells can either stay around the germinal center or they can migrate to other immunological niches like gut, lungs, spleen, or tonsils. The reason they stay in these immunological niches is because they still need help from T cells when they encounter the antigen during the secondary infection. Oh, I see. And the follicular T helper cells also occupy the same immunological niches, so it make, makes it easier for the memory B cells to find them this way, right? That is absolutely correct. So would it be right to say that memory B cells are the main type of cells involved in secondary response? That would not be correct because we also have long-lived plasma cells and let's call them LLPCs, which are, and these LLPCs are also formed inside the germinal centers. All right, but how do these LLPCs form? Ah, I know some things about LLPCs. All right. LLPCs. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm excited. <laughs> LLPCs are one of the cells that stick around after the infection is cleared to continue producing large amount of antibodies that just stay in the circulation. If you've ever gotten a blood test to determine if you've previously had any certain infection, uh, like I got one one time to see if I've ever had chicken pox, uh, they might be looking for the presence of antibodies that are being released by the long-lived plasma cells that differentiated during that infection. These arise during the primary response when some of the germinal center B cells receive the right kind of stimulation and end up forming LLPCs. Ash, what does this right kind of stimulation look like? Yeah, uh, one interaction that I'll point out as an example is the PD-1-PDL-1 interaction. So the T follicular cells will express the PD-1 receptor and the germinal center B cell will express its ligand PD-L1. This interaction supports the formation of long-lived plasma cells. So how are these plasma cells different from memory B cells? I'm glad you asked that because they're actually quite different. Uh, so first, they don't express the protein CD19, which is a quintessential B cell co-receptor. They also don't express much of surface IgM. Then they're much more competent at making antibodies than memory B cells. And they don't even need help from the T cells to make these antibodies. So they'll just stick around for a long time and just make a bunch of antibodies. Uh, that will These antibodies will hopefully neutralize any of the pathogen that you might get exposed to. Uh, so, so these are the kind of the cells that to an extent will protect you from getting the same virus twice in the same year. One thing I know about plasma cells is that they have tons of endoplasmic reticulum. So you can literally distinguish between a memory cell and a plasma B cell under a microscope based on their morphology. Right. Yeah. So they have so much endoplasmic reticulum because they're these antibody making machines. However, they have very, very limited proliferation potential. So they're truly terminally differentiated. These long-lived plasma cells, LLPCs, will take refuge in various locations like the bone marrow, gut, lung mucosal tissues, but the exact locations are different from where the memory B cells go. So can I ask why they go into these specific locations? So one of the reasons is the cellular environment in these areas. These, these, these areas have other cells that provide the long-lived plasma cells with signals and tell them stay there and live a long time. Like 
In the environment of the bone marrow, for example, there are mesenchymal stem cells that express the chemokine CXCL12, like we were talking about earlier. Many of the LLPCs express CXCR4, which if you remember is the receptor for CXCL12. Therefore, plasma cells that express CXCR4 will migrate and stay here. In addition, there are some eosinophils that will express the cytokine APRIL, A-P-R-I-L, that will help the plasma cells survive for a really long time. In fact, they can survive so long that some of these plasma cells are thought to live for nearly the entire lifetime of an organism. Okay, for a cell, that is exceptionally long. That's amazing. I know, right? Yeah, that's why I think plasma cells are kind of a class of their own. Uh, There are, of course, specific metabolic pathways that make them so long-lived, but we'll talk about that sometime later. So we've talked about long-lived plasma cells and memory B cells as being an important part of the secondary immune response. Is there anything else our listeners should know about the secondary response? On the cellular scale, I think that's enough information for now, but on the molecular scale, there are some things I would like to mention. So uh, Koshika, you asked earlier why memory B cells only take two or three days to proliferate when it sees an antigen, where the naive B cell takes almost a week. Yeah, why is that? Well, I looked into it and it is actually because the signaling machinery in memory B cells gets rewired to respond faster. Rewired how? So first, there's an increased rate of calcium mobilization in the memory B cells. Calcium mobilization is super important for the lymphocyte receptor signaling and getting in the cell, getting into the cell cycle. So to explain this next point, I'll have to talk about uh, the G0 phase of the cell cycle. Do you guys remember what this G0 phase is? Hey, yes, I, yeah, familiar. I, I remember there are four phases of replication in the cell cycle, the G1, G2, S, and the M phases. When the cell is not in any of these phases, it is in the G0 phase, which what we consider the quiescent or the resting phase in the cell cycle. A cell in the G0 phase will show about no intention of dividing. Exactly. Yeah. And there are a set of transcription factors that maintain this G0 state in cells. It turns out that memory B cells express lower concentrations of those transcript- transcription factors, which is why the cell is more poised to enter the replication pro- phases. It's, it's not expressing the transcription factor that as much of the transcription factor that stops it. So thinking of the naive and memory B cells like two athletes competing in like a hundred meter sprint. When they're at the starting line, the naive B cell is sitting in a recliner while the memory B cell is bent forward and ready to go. You can see how the starting position will impact who the winner is. <laughs> There's also one more reason uh, that they respond faster, and that's the higher expression of surface molecules that will engage with the T cell. So memory B cells express higher amounts of CD80, CD86, and CD40, so they can quickly get help from the T cells. Okay, so let me quickly summarize and recall these differences. So you mentioned that memory B cells have a higher rate of calcium mobilization, so they signal better. Then they are more poised to enter the cell cycle. And lastly, they express the high amount of T cell engaging receptors, so they are getting better health. Yeah, that was a great summary. Thanks, Koshika. Yeah, I agree. That was that was a great summary. And so before we end today, 
I just want to acknowledge for just a second that nearly all of the high affinity B cells, which expand and grow and mediate an attack on the invading enemy, they all die about two weeks after the infection starts. Oh, no. That is tragic. That is I know. upsetting and tragic, yeah. I know, I know. But remember, we, sell, we said that the B cells need antigen stimulation to stay alive. Well, after the infection is cleared, there's no more antigen to stimulate them. So they too undergo apoptosis. That That is sad. But in a way, it's it's a good thing. You don't want your immune cells to be lingering around for so long. And we still have memory cells, right? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, as an immune response ends after infection, so much so must we end our discussion of germinal centers. Hey, I cannot believe we finally finished talking about germinal centers. This has been a topic wow. that it's been pending for so long that I cannot, I cannot believe it. We, we actually did it. I know. We talked about so many fun topics today. Yeah, we did. We had a very good discussion on the kinetics of the light and dark zones of the germinal centers and how cells can exit the germinal center at different points in the process. Yeah, we also discussed memory B cells, which are responsible for mediating protection from reinfection and also an appropriate response to vaccination. Uh, these cells are poised to respond and proliferate if they're activated with their cognate antigen. Finally, we went over LLPCs, long-lived plasma cells, and how they stick around for months or years after infection and just continue releasing a bunch of antibodies. You know, we're kind of like LLPCs. But instead of making antibodies, we're making antibodies. <laughs> oh, no. I think we have punished our listeners enough for the day. <laughs> I, I know, right? I feel like we're taking them for granted now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But yeah, uh, thanks a lot, Ash and Koshika, for this wonderful discussion. For our audience, if you're interested in know more about our science communication endeavors, Please check out antibodies.org. You can find our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. See you.